Welcome back to a brand new episode of Views of the Next Podcast, and I'm your host, Lama. I'd like to thank y'all all for tuning in. It's each and every week I bring you an episode of Somebody Talking About the X. And this week, we're up to episode 50. I know I promised y'all a trilogy, but it's very, very hard to do that because the people I try to reach out to were not trying to tell a business like that. And I try to find a married couple that had a past, and that was very hard to do. Because the married couples I did come across, they've been together since high school. And I want a different type of relationship, a different type of dynamic. Two people that had a past and then ended up together later on in the long run. Like, how did y'all come from this to end up married? I wanted that type of relationship. And I couldn't find that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to come back to this another time because I can't miss another week of not having an episode up. So I'm back. This is episode 50 featuring Angus Nelson. Now, Angus Nelson I found on Clubhouse. He had a room about podcasting. And from there, he was telling his story. And I was like, yo, this guy is interesting. I want to have him on my podcast. So I reached out to him and um, he agreed to it. Now, he's my first uh, Caucasian gentleman on this podcast. And he's older. He's 49 years old. So he has a, a, a long past. Um... Not to say like he's old, but he has history and he's been divorced. So he was part of the trilogy of episode 50. And since I couldn't find the married couple and the engaged couple, I was like, you know, I'm going to just put this episode out and just that's it. This is episode 50. Now, what I like most about Inga's story is that he realized he was going downhill with himself and did the work on himself. Like he went out. Dropped everything. I was like, you know what? I need help. And I'm going to go out and get the necessary help I need to, to be a better man. And that's one thing that us men need in our life. We need to recognize where we lack and um, just get the help. Whether it's therapy, a mentor, something. We just need that help. And Angus realized that and went and got it. So in his story, he explains what he did, how he did it, how he found out about it. And this is a it's an amazing story. A lot of gems were said. And he's a men's coach, so he has a lot of teaching to to offer. Um, he has a book out. I'm gonna promote the book on IG. I hope y'all enjoy his story. I see y'all next Thursday, and please visit the website viewsofnext.com. There's merch there. Please subscribe to the podcast. I don't know if I lost any subscribers this past week, but. Spread the word about this podcast and keep, keep um, promoting it and doing what I do. Thank y'all. I'll see y'all. Bye. Now, I was trying to skim through your book. I couldn't get a t- enough time to read through it, but mm-hmm. it's very, very entertaining already. Oh, <laughs> like thank I you. just skimmed through it a little bit. I went, all right, go ahead. Sorry, my, my wife was asking me a question. No, I was saying, um, you sent me the book. I was skimming through it. So I read mm-hmm. to my friend yesterday the back of the book, right? And she right, said, right. oh, that seems entertaining. So um, I, I didn't have enough time to read through it. So I skimmed through a few chapters. And mm-hmm. the free fall one, I was like, I was glued. <laughs> mm, right so, on. Um, I have questions about that, but that'll come later on. Um, well, actually, let me grab my book so I know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm like, gotcha, Gosh, gotcha. I wrote, but I don't remember what the free fall. I remember <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I can tell you about it, but what does the book say? Hold on a second. All right. 
All right. Yeah, By the way, it was so funny in your um, um, in your Google form when you're asking about uh, a song you want to dedicate. Oh, my friend went ex- crazy. I was telling her everything about you. So she was like, uh, that's a perfect song. She was like, I would never think someone would pick that song. So I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah. But thank you for doing um, this. Uh, Angus Nelson, I met mm-hmm. you on Clubhouse and you was originally talking about podcasting. Yeah, yeah. But then it, it went left to some of your personal uh, uh, life. And I was like, in, in my head, I'm like, this guy would be good on my podcast. And um, I'm doing a trilogy episode of my 50th episode would be someone that went through a divorce that's mm-hmm. married and engaged. So you're going to be in the divorce section. <laughs> Lucky me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you again. Uh, Angus Nelson. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. Um, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was born at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, you get that? Yeah, huh? right. Born at a young age, <laughs> huh? huh? Oh, comedy rough crowd. So um, I am currently a men's coach. I'm a performance coach. I work with um, high-performing men mm-hmm. and help them with a, a program I call my conscious design lifestyle. And it's all based on routines that we create in um, our daily routine mm-hmm. in addition to our mindset. And what? once we connect the dots on who we are and how we can show up, uh, everything changes. And oh, that's, so that's, that's a little bit more dope. about me. All right. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, three years. Nice, nice, nice. And what got you into to being a men's coach? So I had a background where um, we're going to dive into. Um, When I went through my divorce, I went headlong into studying behavioral psychology, and I was trying to figure my stuff out, trying to get out of my own way, right? Mm -hmm. And um, through the course of a number of different events, I ended up working in corporate America. I was running an association of all Fortune 500 brands, and I was surrounded by all these people who had gone to some of the best schools. They're now making incredible money at mm-hmm. companies you'd give your left arm for, and most of them were miserable. I they bet. Yeah. felt like they I had no souls, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it all the time. And um, so I'd be on calls, and I was experiencing like more coaching than actually addressing these areas of innovation and all the things that we were supposed to be focusing on. And I didn't realize that was a thing until a couple of years later. And then I started to pursue, like, what would this look like? And so I um, became a coach. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Now let's get started. The, uh, the, the first question I normally ask is the fake name you will give your ex and why? Um, so I think I put in Rhonda. And I don't have any other reason then i have no associations with any rondas that i know of it was the most innocuous name i could come up with (laughs) (laughs) so there's no reason why ronda is no inside joke is no (laughs) no inside joke i I didn't want to i'm not no blame no shame yeah no incrimination (laughs) (laughs) now i think in your book no i think you wrote down you living in alabama or now you live in tennessee are you from yeah i'm in tennessee so you went from Alabama to Tennessee? Yeah. So um, actually, it's connected because after my divorce, um, I was still in my hometown in Wisconsin for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. And when I finally decided, like, I I need a change in my life. So I had been reading um, 
a number of books and there was an author who had this program down in um, Huntsville, Alabama. And um, it was kind of this holistic approach to life and spirituality and psychology and emotional well-being. And I'm like, damn it, I'm putting my house on the market. And (laughs) I went to Alabama for one year to mentor under this dude. And how did that go? Like, (laughs) dang, you you went all out. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, It was amazing. Changed my life. It was, um, first of all, just what I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, so much of that, that went into my book and into my story and now into my coaching is just, it gave me so much objectivity mm-hmm. and he and his team just talked really straight and got me to see through my own crap. Um, mm-hmm. and also giving me some real context for how to see the world through a much healthier fashion. So that was part of it. And then the second piece of it that made it so amazing was I met a girl. And I had no ambition, you know, at this point <laughs> in my life, I'm like, I want nothing to do with another relationship. And uh, at the end of this year uh, that I was there in Alabama, I figured, well, you know, this is, this is interesting. And maybe I'll stick around and see where this thing goes. Man. Eight years later, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd gotten remarried and had kids and it was, it was a completely different experience. And one of the things they actually say in the book is I never knew that relationships could actually be so happy. Mm-hmm. because of what we're about to talk about is my first marriage was not. Gotcha. And if those are listening, you read the back of the book, he talks mm-hmm. about some of the subjects that he, he's going to speak about in this episode. So let's start. Yeah. We're talking about Rhonda here. Let's go mm-hmm. back to how old you were when you first met Rhonda and how you met her. So I was about 29 mm-hmm. uh, and I was running a nonprofit organization and she came into the doors and volunteered. Right. And so she started in kind of a work-ish you know, relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, she was in town. Um, I had been doing some radio stuff. And her mom had heard me on the radio. So her mom already approved. Like, you're going to go hang out with that guy? Cool. Go hang out with him. He seems like <laughs> he's such a good boy. Yeah. And uh, that's how it started. Um, and then she had some, some kind of some difficult stuff uh, came in her t- into her life. And that kind of bonded us together because I was kind of the hero. And that was part of my, part of the downfall was I was playing the hero. Like, hey, let me help you. She uh, had gotten pregnant um, mm-hmm. through another guy. And um, I said, well, you know, let's, it started off as me trying to help her. And then it turned into, you know, well, let me step her. in. My fault to cut you off. Help her in what way? Like take care of the kid, uh, take care yeah. of financially, everything like that? Yeah. So man, we met in what would have been probably September. We started dating the end of October. We were engaged mm-hmm. in December and married by April. So it was like bam, 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 bam. That's, that's and a it short played time. Like super short. <laughs> now I got to ask you questions about yourself at that time. Yeah. You wrote down you were single for 29 years and you yeah. was all your life or that was that was your first girl that was my first marriage so i dated a couple of girls but oh, all right, all right. The, the longest relationship i had um was probably just shy of two years and that one in particular was mostly a distance relationship oh so you don't really count those so, yeah right so it, it's kind of <laughs> like i didn't have any lengthy relationships i didn't have a ton of relationship experience mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And most of that was because I was so busy doing stuff. Uh, my mom was from New Zealand. My dad from South Texas. He had been in the Navy. They met overseas. And as I was growing up, my mom always said, you know, as soon as you get out of school, grab a backpack and go. Dude. So after I went, got out of college, like every, you know, few months to a year, I was traveling. And so every summer I'd be overseas. I lived in LA. I lived in Boston. I lived in Chicago. I lived in like all these different places for different so, periods of time. Yeah. So it was hard and, to settle down and meet that one woman. And yep. all right, I get it. Yeah, I get it. So you met this one. And where did you learn love? Like, where did you learn about love? <laughs> I didn't learn a lot of good things out of that one. <laughs> um, so here's what I did learn. I learned codependence. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I learned insecurity. I learned, um, I learned about myself. I learned how I acquiesced mm-hmm. to her and didn't assert myself in who I was. I didn't have a strong opinion of myself. Um, and furthermore, when we had met, I was running this organization and I had a lot of responsibility uh, on my shoulders and I was trying to make a lot of people happy. So I had a board, I had you know donors. Um, in addition, at the time I was leading worship for my, my dad's church and helping him with some of the youth ministry. And so I had a ton of stuff on my plate and what I didn't realize, I was doing all those things to please other people. Yeah. And, and I didn't really know didn't myself in all of it. Yeah, you didn't put yourself first. Yeah. Oh, man. So taking on this this burden, it's like a, a big burden, a kid, yeah. and just to try to please this woman, you, you yeah. just put yourself out there. All bam, bam, bam. Why the marriage, though? Why you felt like you need to get that you needed to get married in that short um, time? So... You know, I was trying to do the honorable thing for her, but, you know, more so. And again, this plays into some of the negative programming I had in my mind was, you know, I mentioned that I, you know, was with my dad's church and stuff. So part of it was, how do I be a good Christian? Mm-hmm. You know, and plus this is um, what I thought in my mind, what is it to be a good man? You know, a little old school yeah. masculinity. Um. I just had all these complex things in my head of things I ought and should do, which are never good motivations for anything. It's just right. crap thinking, right? Right. Um, now, right before we got married, she miscarried. Mm-hmm. With, and so with, even with more so, she's... What, go ahead. Was, what was that? It was supposed to be yours? No. Th- and this wasn't my kid. This is oh, this is right. from some other guy, yeah. right? Um, and so that could have been you know, us stepping back, putting a pause on a relationship, like let's sort things out. But there was also this pressure of like, well, we set this date, we invited all these people, we made all these plans already, we've got deposits, like Mm -hmm. we can't back out now. Yeah. And I wasn't even thinking that way. I was so consumed by trying to do the right thing. And I had this business that, you know, was, had just a ton of pressure. And I made some financial decisions within the company that kind of put us behind the eight ball. We were in debt. Mm. And, um, and so now here I am under all this stress and all, and most of it, again, self-induced and I started drinking and then from the alcohol then turned to porn. And so, you know, that's kind of was just some of the seeds that were planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we got into the marriage, um, we did it for all these wrong reasons. 
and there's more to it and and I don't want to get ahead of us but no, no um, yeah I just wanted to ask how was the the relationship before the marriage which I going on dates was it was it happy happy going and then the marriage happened and that's when it went yeah and again because it was so short and compressed the dating was kind of like I'd get off of work or I'd you know get somebody to kind of fill in for me and then we like take off and grab a bite to eat someplace mm mm-hmm. But it wasn't really like, let's go see a movie. Let's sit down and talk. There wasn't a whole lot of that. Um, and again, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, what in the world were you thinking, Nelson? Right. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> well, you look back at it, right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, I didn't really get to know this woman. And I'm jumping into a marriage. And Yeah. Man. And, and so she, you know, I, I kind of made some assumptions thinking like, well, um, you know, she was a, good athletes. She had gone to school. She was really smart. You know, we had, you know, from the outside, it looked like, you know, some, some, you know, makings of a relationship, but Mm -hmm. we we didn't have compatibility. We didn't have similar interests and similar goals, but we didn't see that back then. So going into the relationship, it was again, me from a hero complex, I'm coming to rescue and I'm going to help you. She was in a lot of fear and a lot of pain. So, you know, she loved to have somebody there for her. Yeah. And so that drew her closer to me. It drew me closer to her. So here we are based in, again, all these negative components. She was very vulnerable at the time. So she was just allowing whoever was nice to her, I guess, at the time. Yep. Yep. That happens. That happens a lot. Yeah. So you get married. Mm -hmm. You already addicted to alcohol and porn. Mm Mm-hmm. As you enter the marriage, yep. How that was she just, you deal with that? So she didn't know about all right most all right. of that, and and I, and I, if I would dial it back, like I was already at, in porn mode, but the alcohol was still had had not really kicked in yet. It wasn't until you know we we're about a year into the marriage, mm-hmm. and like everything had gone sideways. Um, that first year was really rough. Um, we ended up having to move into my parents' basement. Mm. And so now, you know, as a man, I'm not taking care of us. I'm not, you know, forking over my, my part in providing financially. So I had, again, some of these complex shame issues and, and just bad programming. Yeah. And so then we, I finally did start, you know, making some money and we got an apartment. It's really beautiful apartment, actually. And it was like, it was never enough. Where were you living at the time? Uh, Central Wisconsin. All right. All right. All right. So you said always um, moved. So all right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during the time that we were married, we were always, we were always in the same place for that because right. I had this business. And so we had this apartment, but we're not meeting eye to eye. She's just going about her job. I'm going about my job. And then, you know, when we got together, I had a lot of friends and I have a very big personality mm-hmm. and I was raising money. So I was going to a lot of, you know, like events and cocktail parties and, you know, trying to raise donors and mm-hmm. trying to put a good face on for this, this organization. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not there doing, you know, Johnny, Johnny, the monkey boy, like, you know, I'm constantly on. Yeah. She despises it. She's an introvert. She wants nothing to do with the spotlight. Oh, that's already, um, yeah, that's already a, a bummer. 
and I'm, you know, I'll get written up in the newspaper or I'm on, you know, some TV interview and she could care less. Mm. And so that started playing into my self-worth. Like now I, I don't know what it is, you know, I can do to show you that I'm somebody like I, I matter. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I'm, I'm sure that she's slipped into some other, you know, psychological elements where she felt like she probably made a mistake and that we didn't know each other well, or, you know, I don't know. I'm, everything I say is just a judgment, mm-hmm. but sexually, mm-hmm. you know, things were getting pretty cold. And explain that. Like, what do you mean? So no sex. Like, I mean, if we were having sex more than once every three weeks, that was like miraculous. Yeah. Oh man. And so now I'm feeling like what's wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. Am I not good enough? Am I not satisfying? Am I, so I, all my man issues are on the, on the (laughs) table. Like I am questioning everything. Yeah. That could happen. Right. Yeah. So now I am jacked up. So again, these porn issues, you know, so this is where I'm going to find my solace. Fill yourself, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I start drinking heavy. Mm. Um, and so now when I'm coming back from what these parties. What would you drink at this time? What would you run? Uh, gosh, I, I, it's probably still the same whiskey. Whiskey, whiskey was right, well yeah. no you know there were, there was a season where i was doing gin and tonics and uh i had a night mm-hmm. where that went really sideways and i probably didn't have gin for another <laughs> 5 or 6 years after yeah. that one um so yeah it was probably it was gin and, and bourbon mm-hmm. um yeah those are kind of my go-tos yeah. and then later um i just would drink like a whole bottle of wine you know, one or two, and those just to, as a nightcap. Things are a different type of buzz. Yep, because like the whiskey, that's more of like a, on your wild side. The gin, yep. it can be, but it's. Yep. But the wine is like a different type of buzz. Yeah, so that's when I was depressed. Yeah. So yeah. when I went to wine, like that was my way to get to sleep. Was I just yeah. had to solely chill, take the edge off, and just drift off into a sleep. And you know, I'd wake up two hours later mm-hmm. and have to drink some more. And it was a really crap time. Um, yeah. And that was after we had separated uh, when I got into the wine. Gotcha. Now, um, as this, uh, at, when you two were together, you said the sex mm-hmm. was lacking. Um, you didn't have sex as often, as often. What was the dynamic like? Did you come to her? Did you speak to her, communicate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tried to. You know, we try and have conversations. Um, and then she would just be in denial. Like, I don't know. I don't know why. I just don't know why. Um, and why then the you, flip you side of that. Sex? Yeah. Work, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, and then even when we did, um, you know, to, if I'm fully candid, um, you know, at the time I'm trying to be the good guy. So even sex is just, you know, very genteel, very yeah. like, <laughs> like we're going to have like two positions to choose from, you know? <laughs> And that's it. Like, there's nothing wild here. There's nothing crazy. There's nothing, you know, whatever. Um, And, you know, again, because of of the friction, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the verbal communication was was really kind of sour, too. Um, So, sarcasm, Mm. um, you know, dismissiveness. Like, you know, even if I wanted to say, hey, we want to get some friends together. And she's like, well, your friends are idiots. Or, hey, something about the family, maybe for a holiday or something like that. And she's like, well, I, you're, 
mom, your dad, your brother or something, and then some kind of like slanderous whatever about them. Man. And so she doesn't like my work. She doesn't like my business and she doesn't like my family or my friends. So I'm like up a creek without mm-hmm. a paddle. Right. And I don't want to completely like say everything's her fault mm-hmm. um, because some of this, obviously my personality is playing into that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're together without actually having a relationship, I know now looking back, like that all played into it. Yeah, yeah. So it goes downhill after this. Yeah. Now I was reading your book with the in between stuff where the, I was saying like the freehold. That was the name of the freefall. title of freefall. My fault. Freefall. Yep. That was the name yep. of the chapter. And yep. I skimmed through that, and y'all agreed to see other people. Yeah. There was a guy coming into town. Yep. Who she dated or was into. Yep. And she asked if I can go on a date with this guy. You said, yeah, but only if I can do the same. Yeah. And y'all both agreed. You did your thing and had sex with another person. Yep. She did her thing. I I didn't finish it. So that's why I wanted yep. to bring this episode. I mean, that that chapter into this episode. Yep. Um, I was in clubhouse rooms, right? Mm-hmm. And it was talking about non-monogamy. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on that? Because that's basically what that is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> non-monogamy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a very different opinion about all of that. Um, all right. I think that season for us really revealed the pain mm. and the screwed up thinking because she really was talking fondly about this guy and we're married. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, And... Then on top of that, she's like, well, I want to go out with this guy. And I'm like, yeah, go for it. And then my intention was, and I'm going to go out with somebody too. I'm going to go out. And I named off this, this girl Mm -hmm. um, that I was in a a, a volleyball team with Mm -hmm. thinking she would say, oh, hell no. Or no, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. Like in my mind, I was thinking like, this was a way for her to think that this was stupid. Mm -hmm. And she didn't. And then I, my feelings were hurt even more. Wow. And now I just like, well, screw the you. You know, I'm going to go do my thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if this is a rated G. What, no. PG. You, where, where we at? Yeah, you, you, yeah. So I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> you know? And like, again, this really showed the depth of pain, you know, that both of us were in. And again, when I look back, I don't. I don't carry a grudge against this poor woman. Mm-hmm. Like we were just both in a really bad place and we fed off of each other's insecurities, off of our own pain, off of our own codependence. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a Molotov cocktail that just needed a little light and yeah, the thing yeah. blew up. Now, how did it end? Like how did this relationship end? Y'all both was not seeing eye to eye. Right. Yeah. Jumped in some, into something, not knowing each other. Yeah. So we had yeah, gone to, to marriage counseling yeah. to try and, you know, put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And uh, Rhonda was also uh, part of her, her schooling was in psychology. And oh. so while we were trying to go to this marriage counselor, she finally just said, look, I don't want to go to them anymore because I know all the questions they're going to ask. I already know. I don't care. Like, mm. And it's, 
again, showing some of this, like, well, if you know, then don't you want to maybe explore like how we could fix? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, kind of like seeing the, the writing on the wall, like this thing's not going to go very far. And then where it really came to a head um, was I walked in, uh, she wanted to go to um, have drinks with a friend of hers that she coached with. All right. And um, I was like, all right, I don't care, whatever. And so we went and on the way, we're driving over to meet this dude. And she said, he's probably wearing a blue shirt. If I would guess, it's probably blue checkered because that makes his eyes look good. That's, like, that's the thing? And I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I already was like red flags. Right. Um, so we got there. Like I said, I, I in this town, I, I'm pretty well known. So we got there. She started talking with this dude. They have karaoke. I'm going to go tear up that karaoke stage and I'm going to go say hi to friends. Like, right. and if I don't know any friends, I'm going to make some friends. Gotcha. That's just the kind of personality I am. Yeah. And um, so I'm having a good time. Apparently they're having a decent time. And then afterwards we go to his place mm. and it's getting late and I'm on the couch and I'm just, I just close my eyes for a moment to just kind of rest my eyes. And then, you know, that feeling you get when it's just quiet, yeah, it's like an awkward silence yeah. type of thing. Yeah. It was like people were talking and now nobody's talking. Yeah. And I'm like, so I, I, I like woke up and I kind of got up and I rounded the corner. And as, as I was around the corner, um, I saw a reflection of the window and my wife was uh, giving this guy a big smooch. She like, she was leaning over and kissing him on the lips. Wow. And I was livid. Like now I am pissed. <laughs> And again, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know how to control my communication or my emotions at this time in my life. So I did a very childish thing. I just stormed out the door, got in the car, squealed out of the parking or out of the the driveway. And I'm just screaming down the road. You left her. You left her there. Left her. Like, fuck you. (laughs) Like, you want him? You can have him. See ya. And I, uh, get my phone. She's like, what happened? So she didn't see me. She didn't know that I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. And so my phone's, you know, buzzing. I hung up, you know, I I just ignored the call. Then came, came back and I'm like, and I picked up the phone. I said, I saw you. And I'm like screaming in the phone. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what, what? I said, I saw you kissing him. She's like, come back, come back. And it's just this Overly, dr- like when I think back at it, I just, I'm so embarrassed because it's, it was like freaking scene out of a movie that was just this cheese ball, immature, you know, at the time I was a bit of an idiot. I'm like, ah, and so I turn around and I'm, like, I'm going to tell her off and blah, 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 blah. Yes. I pull in the driveway. There she is. She hops in the car. I back out, squealing out the wheels. Like I'm some kind of a tough guy. Like what the hell? And I take off and we're driving around the road. Like, I'm really a calm driver. I'm pretty passive. Even today, my wife's like, come on, can we get somewhere? <laughs> and she's kind of the lead foot in our family. Like, I just, I'm, I'm not a really fast driver. I don't mm-hmm. do that. But that night, I am hauling ass. <laughs> yeah, and, that's my driver. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's dangerous. And it's yeah, a yeah. winter night in Wisconsin. Like, not smart at all. And she's telling me to stop. She's telling me to stop. She's telling me to stop. 
And by this time, it's really late. So the stoplights in the city are blinking, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I come to a stoplights close to our home. And she said, look, it was nothing. It was nothing. And I said something to the effect of, um, you're right, it's nothing. And I jumped out of the car. I put it in park and I jumped in the car and just started walking. A couple things. One is I don't remember exactly how everything went down because I was just seeing red. Yeah, and as yeah. I always say in my coaching clients, like we rarely remember things how they actually happen. We only remember them for how they make us feel. Mm, that's deep, yeah. And so I'm in a place of great pain and shame and I'm embarrassed and you know my life is in shambles with or without her I'm I'm screwed up mm-hmm. um I told you I'm leading worship for my dad's church like I'm not leading a good example my life is jacked up on so many fronts I'm in total fraud I'm letting everybody down and nobody really knows it mm-hmm. I'm too afraid to talk to anybody I can't tell anybody what's really going on in my life I don't have any way that I'm allowing in to an inner circle to be vulnerable or transparent with. I haven't asked for help from my board. I haven't asked for help from the city or anyone that I know, either for me personally or for the organization financially. I am heaping and creating and self-sabotaging a horrible place for my life. Mm -hmm. And I get out of that car and I go walking. And I'm maybe two or three blocks away from my house. Mm -hmm. Again, Hindsight, this looks really dumb. It's freaking winter in Wisconsin. It's cold. I'm cold. So I know, yeah. And where am I going to (laughs) go? So I just walk around for a while, and then I go into the garage where the the car still has a little bit of heat left in it. The car, we didn't lock the car when we went in the garage. I tried to lay down for a little bit. And then I started getting cold. So I snuck in the back door and I went on the couch in the living room to go to sleep. And at some point in time in the morning, my wife had woken me up mm-hmm. and said, just come to bed. And then that was the last time we had sex. And it was angry, violent sex. Wow. And it was shortly thereafter that she said, uh, two days or three days said, um, I need a break. I need some space. And I said, why don't you go to your parents' place? Mm-hmm. And that was the last time she was under that roof. Wow. Man. And how does that process work? Because it's not like a normal breakup. This is something no. that you signed up for and, and it just don't work out. So how does that divorce process work? If- yeah, so... Well, and first, did, I wait, let me let me ask you, how did you feel during that time? So she went to her, mom, uh, her parents' house. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your what was your thoughts? You're, you're living alone now you're in this house by yourself. Yeah. And- um, well, lonely, mm-hmm. first off. And then, you know, obviously, I've got lots of time to think. So now I'm processing, you know, what happened, what just happened. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like in those last, you know, 72 hours. I mean, like the last. 13 months or whatever. Right. Like, again, I didn't know what to do in terms of asking for help. And um, I think it was probably about 24 hours before I reached out to my dad. Wow. 
and then said she went to her parents' house and um, we're on a break and um, I don't know what to do. And so that kind of started the first part of the conversation. And my mom and dad were freaking rock stars through all of this. Um, mm. Super supportive. Uh, talked to me super straight. Mm. Then shared stories with me I had never heard in my life about <laughs> yeah. them and their marriage and, yeah. you know, whatever and prior, whatever. And it created a lot of like understanding between us. And so if there's anything that I was really grateful for sure was, you know, our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot more, you know, some of it I talk in the book and some of it, you know, it's just, I don't even know that I've really talked to anyone really about some of it. Um, but there were some parts where she came back and then was really warm and friendly and then suddenly would go ice cold. That's weird. And yeah, I mean, and I think she, if I were going to give it some term, I would say we were both grieving and yeah, trying to figure yeah. out, you know, what was best. And I'd written some songs during that season. And one day she'd come over to pick up some bills or something. And uh, she's like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, I wrote a song. And she says, is it about me? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. She's like, can you play it? And I played it. And she's like, I think that's the best song you ever, you've ever played or you've ever written. I'm like, well, thanks. She didn't feel And then she left. Anything like oh, that? the phone rang. All right. And it was the guy that she, I'd seen her kiss. Wow. And she's talking to him like a giddy little schoolgirl right there in front of me for probably 15, 20 minutes. That's disrespectful. All right. <laughs> that wow. was highly disrespectful. And then I was like, I don't care what you think about my song. That's that tearing up that fucking song sheet I just wrote. Yeah. And never singing it again. What kind of song was it? Was it like a, a bash song or was it like a love song? Or what kind of song was it? Um so the song <laughs> it's funny you're asking me this. The some the song was something like actually you could probably a modern day music could be, you know, somebody could do it today. Uh, but it was something along the lines of all the ways you see me. Um, you say I'm I'm too too deep, um, too cheap, too da 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 da. And then I go through this whole thing in the chorus, and I come back around at the end in the bridge, and I said, "But these are all the things that I see in you too. You're too wow. cheap, too deep." Da, da, da. I just I threw it right back at her. And <laughs> she said, "It's the best song." That and, was sarcasm, right? And I had no, to. no, no, no. So, so, but, but here's the thing: is at the end of the song, then it ties together as maybe we're not so incompatible after all. Wow, and it's a sad song. <laughs> it it's, is. It's like tragically codependent. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I mean, th- these are the things that, again, looking back, here's what I know: being a coach now, studying what I've learned. Mm-hmm. we attract our own pain. That's true. I find right? that myself. I'm 33. So I see yep. that time and time again. Yeah. And I like to say, and I think I said it in the book is you, you date the same person over and over again, just with a different face. Right. Right. And you wonder why I, I'm just, I keep dating all of these people who are always like this. Well, the reason why is because that is the way that I feel about myself and my brain which is the biggest solution tool in our world, in our lives. Our brain is an amazing mechanism. Mm -hmm. And it always seeks 
to solve problems and to create equilibrium in how it filters the world. Mm -hmm. So whatever you feel about yourself internally, your brain will seek to solve in validating your experience externally. So if you have chaos on the inside, you will either attract or create chaos on the outside Mm. because you will want to be treated the way you see yourself. Right. And until you get healing and wholeness inside, you'll never experience it outside. Wow. You're correct about that. Yeah. It it makes total sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. And so if you're if you're struggling with love and you don't know how to love yourself, you're never gonna attract anyone else to love you. And even when you do, you won't know what to do with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And you'll repel it, you'll reject it, you'll sabotage it, you'll submarine it because you don't feel for some reason that you deserve or that you're worthy or that you have what it takes to manage love. Man, you're a coach. You need to be a preacher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm and both, right? Right. (laughs) And so when we look at this from a psychological context, and this is where I work with my clients, is to bridge them and transition them into elevating the way we see ourselves. And when you bring this into dating relationships, it's like we can look back at our exes and we can be angry, we can be shamed, we can be you know bitter yeah. or whatever else. And what we have to look back and actually understand is that that season with that person was actually a mirror and reflection of myself. Now I'm thinking about how to, how to sit down and, and write it down. Like, yeah, during the time where I was at, yeah. Probably makes sense. (laughs) And it's not the easiest thing to do. Like, there's so much truth that it can almost sting. Or I shouldn't say almost. It does. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it stings like hell. Yeah. And so now looking back at that relationship, I can see, like, I had a ton of Mm self-hate. I was deeply confused and frustrated with where I was in life. Mm. Um, I carried in me a lack of strength. And, and I like to say this too, is oftentimes the way we carry ourselves into the world on the external, you know, people around us is in polarity to what our true self is. So in other words, if you carry yourself with a lot of passivity yeah. and quietness or introversion, oftentimes inside you're a freaking lion with massive strength and power. Mm-hmm. Versus people who carry themselves externally with a lot of power and strength oftentimes are the most insecure and fear-filled people. Mm -hmm. That's the polarity. And what we need to do is learn how to balance those masculine and feminine energies to where now we can be bold and strong, but in a way that serves and loves and gives grace. Wow. And for men, especially, like we trip all over ourselves because nobody has taught us how to do that. Right. You know, that's, that's not something that's our father, asked, where do you learn how to, where, you, where did you learn love and where did you learn certain things? I'm like me growing up, I was, I was listening to music and I was listening to mm-hmm. uh, TV shows and what they say in TV shows and movies. And that's how I learned and trial and error as I went on. Yeah. So yeah, you're right about that. You know, and that's the thing like, is, it's all trial and error. And like, mm-hmm. what if, what if we could do it different? Right. What if somebody actually taught us? I mean, like our forefathers way back when there was like, 
a season in life when you were in a tribe or if you were in a, um, um, a community where there was a definitive piece where you went from boy to man. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some kind of a ritual, there was some kind of a, an age or something in your culture that said, okay, now we transit. And today we don't have that. We just, we kind of have puberty and then we have like, oh, I can go to war. I can vote, but am I a man? What is a man? I don't know. I don't, what is a real man? Yeah. And our dads like bless their hearts. Like they just did the best they could with what they had and their dads, you know, the boomers. Yeah. Same exact thing. There's, Work and die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we're evolving. And that's that's how I built my Evolve Men coaching, which is what I call it, is like we're at a place where evolution continues. And now, and again, I work specifically with men because of these issues and what I've learned and what I've experienced. And knowing that men have to evolve, the way we see ourselves reflects how we treat the women or other men around us, how mm-hmm. we show up at work, how we show up as a father, how we show up as a spouse. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to how do I see me? Yeah. So, uh, getting into your the divorce stage, right? Yeah. Did you go back to drinking and porn and all that? Did you go back to those vices? Um, that was the uh, apex of all of it <laughs> in my divorce. Like, let's let's not sugarcoat it. Like, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, and I told you, like. I was this big personality and I was always out and about during my divorce and separation. I was a recluse for mm. almost three years. Wow. Um, I started smoking cause that seemed like a really bright idea too. Um, whatever I could spend my money on that was on par with a slow suicide. Like that's what I was after. I can only and imagine. I, like, man. Right. So I'm like drinking like a fish. I'm wallowing in my own pain at home. And I didn't want to go out because I didn't know who knew what about Mm. me because of my public persona. And I didn't want to have to explain. Um, I went into, you know, shortly after we were separated, I went in to go lead worship at my dad's church. Mm. And I maybe. I don't even think I slept. I got home from um, a late night binge. I smelled like liquor and smoke. And I came down off the stage. My mom came up to me. She put her hands on my shoulder. She gave me a kiss on the cheek and she said, go home, honey. Mm. And I was done. I wasn't leading worship anymore. I was dismissed. Man. And so I'm carrying all of that, you know, and that just was kind of building up. But at the same time, I mean, that was a little bit of tough love, but it was also the appropriate thing. Like I should not have been up there doing what I was doing because I wasn't leading worship. I was up there like worshiping as if my life depended on and all y'all can go to hell. Like I'm just going after it. Yeah. And so it wasn't healthy at all. Um, And then I started bumping into like different stuff. Um, you know, going back in time, like the internet and YouTube was just starting. So I started bumping into some of these more motivational stuff and different um, psychological stuff. So I started reading books mm-hmm. and I was um, listening to Tony Robbins and yeah. discovered Jim Rohn and Jim Rohn, yeah. Brian Tracy and 
you know, all these like motivational psychological guys that I'd heard of, but I didn't give any credence to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when things started to shift. And I wish I could tell you, like, I just flipped on a dime and, you know, everything was, you know, honky dory, but it wasn't. It was like this weird, like, one step forward, two steps back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd start moving forward and then I'd do something stupid. And then maybe I would go out. Um, I'd go to some small town bar in a small town near my home, you know, near my city, but it wouldn't be necessarily in my city or the outskirt of the city. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'd be with some woman I had no business being with who was <laughs> in probably some worse shape than myself. And I just, you know, took opportunity and, and she was the victim, uh, or my prey, you know? Oh, no. Um, so I'm carrying shame cause I'm just acting out. Um, then I come home and it would be like two or three in the morning and I'd start, you know, watching another Tony Robbins video. Yeah. And so it was like this, like, I'm trying to find, how do I get my compass back to due north? And like I said, there was this one author where we started, uh, he had written a book called Becoming the Person You Want to Be. And the whole premise was we're so busy trying to become somebody we think we ought to or should. Yeah. That we don't understand that we're like, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Have to find Everything we're path. seeking for yeah. is already within us. Yeah. And I just need to fall in love with that dude. And that's like one of the, the cruxes that made me change my mind and said, look, I got to get out of here. I got to change my scenery. I just got to get a new surrounding. And since then I've learned, you know, what you listen to, you know, what you hear about, you think about what you think about, you talk about, and what you talk about, you ultimately bring about. Wait, repeat that again. You said that too fast. <laughs> yeah. So what you hear about, mm-hmm. you think about. Yes. What you think about, you talk about. And what you talk about, you bring about. Because mm-hmm. our, our, again, you know, talking about psychology, it's like this is our supercomputer, this brain that I talked about. It's so beautiful yeah. and wonderful. And whatever information we're taking in, whether it's something we're reading, something we're you know, watching, or the people that are around us, we filter that into our brain. Yeah. And then we create judgments around that. We, we paint stories with that information, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And then we'll eventually talk about it, good or bad. And if you want to know what you believe about yourself, you listen to your own words. Like if you do something you think is just, you know, oh, this is not a big deal, I guess. I guarantee you it is. You do something and you're like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Um, of course that happened. That always happens to me. Well, I never this. I never that. All of those are messages around stories you've told yourself. Wow. So it's no wonder that you create these kinds of realities, which is why before I said during that season, I was an idiot. Yeah. I didn't say I am an idiot. Yeah. Because now I'm a different person than that guy. Was, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so here we look at ourselves and at this information that we're taking into our own lives and we carry these into our relationships. And so if you're dating somebody and they speak something over you, like when it's an intimate relationship, that stuff's going to carry weight. Yeah. 
So if your partner is speaking good things over you, you start to believe really good things about yourself. <laughs> oh, you're sexy. You're funny. You're kind. Oh my gosh, how generous you are. I love how you touch me. You're so sweet. And dot, dot, dot. Or the opposite. Mm. You're such an idiot. You're so disrespectful. You're trash. You're mm-hmm. whatever. There is something about those power of those words that in the moment an emotion is created, now a truth is being told. But that truth may not be true. You've just made it true to you. Mm. And this begins our story. Because when we get into a breakup with someone that we care about, an emotion is tied into information, we're playing with fire. Because if it becomes negative or toxic, we're now going to create something in ourselves, our own storyline that will be toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is why relationships can be so detrimental and impactful when they go sour, you know, when they go awry. So when it does go sour, what are some ways to make it go to a positive, make, make, it, make it positive? So two things um, off the top of my head. One is recognizing that in relationships, if people are arguing and fighting, many times if it's you know something that you've done or whatever, like this is just own it, accept yeah. it, learn from it. Done. Don't don't you don't try and over process it any more than that. Period. I struggle with that because I was right. Overprocessing well, and and blaming myself and yeah, there's going it was just going deeper deeper into a negative state yeah, and that's what you're doing is now yeah. you're blaming yourself and you're trying to take possession of things that don't belong to you. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's theirs. You know, don't take on their chaos and make it your chaos, hmm. right? So that's one thing is just to see it for what it is, be super objective, learn the lessons. Mm-hmm. The second piece is understand this. People are who they are, no matter who's around them. Mm-hmm. If the person you're dating is not nice, bitter, sarcastic, mean, whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who you are in front of them, that's just who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So if we back up in this conversation where I say we attract our favorite pain, all they're doing is being them. And we had, we brought them into our lives to validate the way we felt about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not about me now hearing their words and hearing their pain and then owning that and taking on that chaos. So I'm learning my lesson. Boom, one. Number two, it's not about me now trying to go to this place of seeing like all the things they did to me. What's wrong with me? Why am I broken? Why am I nobody? Why am I, am I ever going to find love again? This is the story we start going down versus that person is dealing with some stuff and they're taking it out on me or I've done some stuff and now they're putting that on me. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's their stuff that they're doing and I get the opportunity to learn the lesson and change and or I have this opportunity to recognize that what just happened is I can establish some boundaries and then simply see what part of this story do I need to own. Gotcha. It's about looking at yourself in the mirror. (laughs) Basically, stop pointing fingers. And when you see something that's negative, 
you have to reframe what you see. Yeah. You know, if I have been selfish, you don't then go and say, well, well, I'm the selfish son of a bitch. That's just who I am. No, if you've seen yourself yourself as selfish, ask your questions. Ask yourself some questions like, why am I just thinking about myself in this situation? Like something is making that happen. Am I afraid of something? Mm -hmm. Am I intimidated by something? Do I have a story I'm telling myself? Am I overworked or overtired? Am I, you know, dependent on some thing? There is a background to what is making that behavior possible. Right. And it's a belief. Our beliefs always cause behavior. Our beliefs always cause behavior. So you have to reverse engineer and say, where is that belief coming from? Mm. And then take steps to create a new belief. So in my practice and coaching, I have my clients go through um, what we call a daily um, manifest. Um, I have a product based around this called the 10-minute motivator. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it gives you tools and like a six-page document that you create for yourself that has affirmations, principles of you know how you want to live your life, the routines that you carry on a daily basis, as well as a narrative of who you see yourself to be as a next level self. Wow. And that tool is to be rehearsed every day to start seeing yourself and, as I said, information with emotion, mm-hmm. feeling the feelings of this next level self. As I'm walking in this new confidence or this new security or this new way of seeing myself, I start to feel differently about me. Yeah. More fulfillment, more satisfaction, more happiness, more joy, more confidence. And you rehearse that on a daily basis. And again, what you hear about, you think about, you think about, you talk about, you talk about, you bring about. Suddenly your thoughts will change and then your words will change and then your experience will change. Yeah. Because your brain will now seek equilibrium with this next level self and you will attract and create completely different relationships that's, that's that's good that's some deep shit yeah yeah <laughs> and it took you going through this divorce to get out that slum and reach out mm-hmm. to this guy in alabama yeah yeah Man, that's great and then there was another guy and then there was another guy like it yeah. was like you know went from one mentor to another mentor to a coach you know and like once you start going down this road and realizing I don't have to do life by myself mm-hmm. and there are certain people that I can attract into my life that can speak into it and show me a different way. And then there's other people I can pay, you know, like I did with this mentor or a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I've invested literally thousands, tens of thousands of dollars into my life Wow! to advance how I see myself and how I operate and how I perform. It's all to me the same as no, it's no different than paying tuition to go to a school. Yeah. Right. You pay the price to learn the lessons to become the expert in your space. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be a good man, a good husband, a good father, if I want to be a good business person, I want to be a good salesperson, I want to be, you know, dot, 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 I'm going to go find the best and brightest people I can. Yeah. And I'm going to go learn. Invest in yourself, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. right about that's what anything. Invest in yourself, and I get that. 
what did you mm-hmm. uh so you becoming this a man now you mature man you, you, you out, right. you're in a positive light you said you met your wife there yeah on your journey how did yeah. that come about again <laughs> church I don't know wait, what it is about church, wait, but it's, before, before it's, that, it's got good things in my life. It got bad things in my life, but it's, it's always been. That, wait, before you get into that, yeah. How did your parents see you on the rise? Are you on the rise of positivity and everything. How did they view you at this at this point? So my mom, um, she's the incredible optimist. Like we'd go on walks, and I'd be smoking a cigarette, you know, during that season, you know, just trying yeah. to like process my stuff. My wife or my wife. That's Freudian. My mom, I <laughs> uh, would reach out and grab the cigarette out of my hand. She'd take a puff and then hand it back to me. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the pastor's wife. That's my mom. I did. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, then. Like, she did everything she could to kind of like, let me know that I wasn't broken. Right. She believed in me. And she told me stories, again, you know, stuff I'd never heard before mm-hmm. about her and, you know, the, their relationship. Da, da, da. My dad, like, he didn't really, like, I got, I became far more emotional through all this. My dad didn't really know how to go there. And even to this day, still struggles with, you know, really emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, but he believed in me and it got to a point where actually he said to me, he said, that girl did you a favor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't see it at the time, but mm-hmm. he knew, like, uh, that relationship needed to sever. And then when I said I was going to Alabama, my dad had some other ideas about where I should go. He wasn't thoroughly happy that I was going. Um, again, he was hoping, I think, that I would you know, maybe be there for him and the church and whatever else. Um, but he shortly got over it. Um, you know, Like a year later, well, like I said, I would come home and visit and he saw the change. Mm-hmm. And our relationship through all this became far closer because of the conversations we had and the things that we were able to, yeah, way more open. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. And then when I said I met a girl. Oh, man. (laughs) My mom was like, oh, I met a girl. My dad's like, are you sure you're ready for that? I don't don't know if you're ready for that. You you shouldn't be bringing some girl into your mess just quite yet. You need to figure it out. I mean, my dad doesn't even sound like that. That's totally unfair, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and then they met her and, um, my wife had a child from her, what we call our practice marriages. I like to say that was practice marriage. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and she was nine when we first met. And so again, my dad was really hesitant. Like, what's that going to look like? You know, furthermore, my wife, um, she's African-American. She's Mm -hmm. her dad's uh, Haitian and her, her mom is Filipino. So I call her my (laughs) Filipation. And, uh, I'm I'm stealing that one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) You can, you can feel free. And so here I am going back to central Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, with my black wife. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my dad's like, are you sure? You know, I mean, and I'm like, dad, times are changing. Da, da, da. He's like, well, I am, you know, he grew up in South Texas, Yeah, you know, so he's trying to work through his own stuff, Yeah, which is so great. Cause flash forward, we've got kids. My dad's showing off pictures of his kids to all of his friends. And like, you would never know the difference. Like, right. Like it's totally different today. It's awesome. 
Yeah. But back then it was like, we were trying to, you know, navigate the road, you know? Um, and so those were some of the things that coming into a new relationship was, is he ready? You know, is, um, is it a distraction? Mm -hmm. You know, if he's still in this growth mode, you know, is she going to get in the way? Mm. Um, and we know what you're capable of, Angus. Are you going to go and hurt somebody else? Mm. So it was the line of the continuum, you know, from right. back to front. Furthermore, I wrestled with those. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going through all my own psychology. Like, am I going to hurt you? Am I going to cheat on you? Mm-hmm. Am I going to go back to any of my own propensities? Am I ready for another relationship? So when we started dating, we immediately jumped into counseling. Wow. Like not premarital, like we had no plans yet of being married. Like we just want, like you've been divorced, I've been divorced, like you've got issues, I've got issues. We immediately got a third party to kind of help us process how we were navigating these new this new relationship. Man, that's genius. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's genius. Because we we both saw it as an opportunity. Like we both want to be happy. Yeah. And we don't know if that's going to be with each other, but I mean, here we are. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And um, I had been working with a guy who was a counselor, and I was like, "Hey, bro, you would you mind?" Yeah. And he's like, "I would be an honor. I would love to." And we got into some of the first conversations, like, "Ah, shit! <laughs> <laughs> I'm having to deal with conversations that are like I'm totally uncomfortable. I'm not prepared, and and that turned into us like late nights at you know IHOP and you know." talking about stuff like deep stuff yeah um and our own regrets and our own you know journeys and but it was coming from a place not of you know let me share my woe is me story you share your woe is me story and now we're codependently you know in pain together it wasn't like that yeah it was more from this place of wholeness and health and and growing towards wholeness and health and what I'm learning about myself and what I f- see as my propensities. Because during the season, I'm becoming more self-aware, more emotionally intelligent mm-hmm. um, than obviously than I'd ever been before. Plus now, like, I'm crying at like Campbell's Soup commercials. Like, I'm just <laughs> an emotional dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't always like that, you know? Now it's like, in fact, uh, just this week, somebody's passed around this uh, you know, video of some, I think it's a German commercial where this guy's lifting these, uh, he's training, lifting a kettlebell. Right. And you're like, why is this guy going through this? And then at the end, he goes to his daughter, his family's uh, Christmas uh, party, and he lifts up his granddaughter to put the star on top of the tree. And so the whole year he was training to do this. To do that. Wow. And it's emotional for you. Oh my God. <laughs> like, my eyes are sweating. My eyes are That's sweating. Funny. That's funny. <laughs> so, so um, okay. You was at go the ahead. point of you meeting your wife and, and this mm-hmm. different dynamic and you're going to counseling. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, I, I guess that would bring you guys together even more. Yeah, I, that's the point where I would rush into marriage. Like <laughs> we we growing together, yeah. I can see. Yeah, I can see it. Like bringing you two together even more and more and more to where the relationship can blossom. So. And 
and it was cool. Like I talk about this in the book, you know, on the back end of the book is like, now it's like, um, I, I shared the example of the Seinfeld, uh, there was one episode where George, do you, do you remember I Seinfeld? I never watched Seinfeld like that. I was too young at the time. So I, I right. should go so, back as an adult. You could probably still go back and watch it. Most yeah. of it's still hilarious. Yeah. But there's this one episode when George Costanza does the opposite of every natural impulse. And this guy is a buffoon, right? He's yeah. just ridiculous. He's goofy. And I know you haven't seen the show, but that's that's a that's a good synopsis of this dude. All right. And during this episode, when he does the opposite of every natural impulse, like everything in life works for him. The pretty girl wants to date him. The job's giving him promotions. He's making more money. He's finding more love and everything's working. And then he suddenly makes the choice to go back to, you know, his old ways and everything obviously falls apart because that's what happens to George. Yeah. But it was that illustration that I used as a metaphor in this chapter of my book where I started to try and do all those impulses where my wife would ask me like a really direct question. My natural impulse would be to get defensive. Mm-hmm. And then I'd feel like she had turned a spotlight and she was like, where were you the night of the fourth? You know, like I mm-hmm. felt like, Oh my God, why do you want to die? And be intimidated. Yeah. Instead, I started to see it. Like she's asking questions because she truly cares and loves me and wants to learn. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything about the way I responded to some of her direct questions. And then later as our relationship matured, I got the courage to say, you know, when he asked me those really direct questions, she's like, I don't ask you direct questions. I'm like, oh, hell you do. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, and so I posed it to her. I was like, like this. I said, maybe you could consider asking it like, this and I'd give her an example. And it's like, if you asked it like this, it would be so much easier for me to answer. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, I'll try and do that from now on. And it's like we started to learn from each other. And, and in the book, I also kind of give us some examples. We do this thing called five love and five unlove. All right. When we first got married, we'd make a list and here are the five things you do that make me feel loved. And here are the five things you do that make me feel unloved. Mm-hmm. So when we first start dating, I'm from Wisconsin. Sarcasm is like our second language. Mm-hmm. We are sarcastic as hell. You said you grew up in Chicago. You've probably experienced no, no, it. I, I moved much out there for like two and a half years. All right. Well, you probably met some sarcastic people. Probably for my right? coworkers. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's just natural. Well, my wife thinks sarcasm is like lowest form communication. Yeah. It's, she thinks it's disrespectful. She thinks it's it's um, it's not honorable. She, yeah, where thinks, she's she doesn't think it's honest. She's from Hawaii. All right, all right, all right. Right. I, I don't know nothing. Um, about this is so funny. Hawaii, but right. Well, her, her dad's from Haiti. Her mom's from the Philippines, and she grew up in Haiti. It's it's funny because of her mix. She actually looks like she's Hawaiian. That's what but I she's thought. Not. I seen your picture online. I was like, oh, she's Hawaiian. Right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, totally. I mean, she's got that kind of look. Yeah. Um, so when we would sit down and make this, you know, this thing, one of the first things she said made her feel unloved was my sarcasm. Hmm. And I had to fight really hard to where like something would roll out of my mouth and in the middle of it, I'd stop and I'm like, mm, that was sarcasm. I'm yeah. so sorry. Like, and like the, every year on our anniversary, we'd go have dinner and then we pull out our five loved and five unloved. 
And we Does did that for the first over time, or do you uh, yeah. keep the same? All right, all right. So every year no, it changes. It kept changing because right. you start learning like the things that make her feel unloved mm-hmm. started to disappear. Because I, there's a difference between trying to do something just to please someone mm-hmm. and doing something that makes them feel safe. Yeah. And when you change that motivation, so when she would say something that made her feel unloved, I suddenly felt motivated to do whatever it ne- was necessary so, so that she didn't have to feel unloved. Mm. And her story involved a dad that was a philanderer, like he was a cheater. He wasn't really the most honest, honorable man. And her whole family dated a bunch of yahoos. Like, wow. like there were not any like consistent men in her life. So yeah, she needed and to so break that cycle. She needed to break that cycle. Yeah. And she and her sister have done very well, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> um, me and my brother-in-law, like we have worked really hard to try and create environments for our wives that you know they can feel safe and trust us, and you know what have you. But it, you know, it took a lot of work, and so doing this five of love and unloved, we found after I think it was four, five years, um, like I couldn't even come up with five. Mm-hmm. Like I came up with three yeah. because I'm like, I, I can't think of anything that doesn't make me feel lo- like you that, that's a good do thing. some of the things. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now we don't do it anymore, but we've been married now almost 14 years. Wow. And it's like, we're so conscious of it now when we see something, I'm like, the way you just said that, like, that was, are you angry? Or like I, you said something because of something I did, but I don't feel that what you said was because of me. What else is going on? Like we have that kind of view into people's lives. She's like, oh, my mom just told me she was sick and I'm worried about her. And I'm so sorry to take that out on you. Like we have that kind of chemistry now. Yeah. I never had that either growing up or in my practice marriage. Like that never existed in my world. I had no idea that kind of stuff existed. Right. But the yes. health of our relationship has because is, is a product of us doing a shit ton of work. Mm-hmm. Both on ourselves and together. Yeah, that's that's good, man. Because nowadays it's, it's hard to, to get people to work with you. Yeah, through that process. Well, it's and hard. the convenience factor, right? Of like, if I can't be with you, I just got to grab my my yeah. smartphone and I'll start thumbing through. I can start swiping. I'll find mm-hmm. somebody else. <laughs> right. It's like right. You're disposable. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, my brother, um, he's he got divorced a few years ago, sadly, um, and so he's. He's in the midst of it right now. And we've actually had conversations where I'm like, dude, I do not envy you at all. I mean, he'll like tell me stories and show me pictures of some of the girls he's dating. He's like, she's only 26. Oh my God. Like, check me out. I'm like, I could care less. Right. right. (laughs) I don't need to be. So I'm 49. My brother, he's 49. We're twins. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm like, I can't imagine dating a 26 year old. That just seems oh like so God. much work. Yeah, <laughs> it's just 49? not. No way. Yeah. No way. Just yeah. so different. And so he's come to the conclusion. He said, you know, if I date women my age, he said they've already kind of had kids or never want kids. And he still has um, a seven year old. Yeah. And then he's got a, a, I think, an 18 and a 20 year old or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he can't date the too young. Obviously, the 26-year-old didn't work out. So he's not dating <laughs> young girls. 
And he said, there's a sweet spot somewhere around 35 to 40 yeah. where they think kids are still adorable and cute and they're still young enough that they wanted to have kids. They could have kids, yeah. dot, 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 you know, or they don't want to have kids, but now they could like, you know, insert themselves into my kids' lives. He said, that seems to be the sweet spot. He hasn't found whoever this particular individual might be yet, <laughs> but that's his theory. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I ask questions on this podcast. Every every podcast, every episode I do, it's three questions mm-hmm. I ask. The first one is the biggest lesson learned. You wrote yep. a ton of things. Yeah. But to, to shorten it, what is your biggest lesson learned from the relationship with Rhonda? The biggest? Um, it's not personal. It's not personal? Yep. Explain that. So we try to make judgments of everything about our relationships about us. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can get away from seeing the conflict in the inter- of the relationship, the more we can get away from making it personal, the faster we can grow. Mm. And what I mean by that is the stuff that's yours you own that yeah. part is personal yeah but the stuff the other partner says and does yeah you should never place judgment upon that upon yourself let their reaction their words and everything else stay on their side of the fence you have to internalize like what part did i play what are the things that i've done and what can i do better yeah that's important and therefore when you dis- dislocate you know, they're part of it. First of all, you're having boundaries, healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, you're only owning the part you have any control over. Very important. Yeah. Man, I can't personal. do anything about their mess. I can't. Yeah. As much as I want to, I can't do nothing. <laughs> that, is, that is true, man. For someone going through a heartbreak or a breakup, what is some advice you would give them? Well, that was advice piece number one. Yeah. (laughs) It's not personal. Right? And then number two is the only common denominator of any relationship you will ever had, whether it's romantic or business or otherwise, is you. Mm. You are your greatest investment, your greatest treasure, your greatest joy, and your greatest love. Mm. And if you can't fall in love with you, do everything you can in your power to get you to a place of loving you. Yeah. Because once you can love you, then you can find somebody else who will love you to the same caliber. That's a fact. <laughs> That's a big mm-hmm. fact. Last but not least, the song you would like to dedicate to your ex. What did I say? Uh, Taylor Swift? Yes. Um, shoot, what's the name? I'm drawing a blank. What's the never, name of the song? Never ever getting back together We're again. Never ever getting back together. <laughs> And I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but I love that song. And yeah. here's why. We were not compatible. That yeah. practice relationship, there's so much codependence and um, we, we triggered each other on all the worst of ways. Mm-hmm. And now with my wife today, mm-hmm. I can't imagine being without her. Like Man. she is my sunshine and not in a codependent needy way. It's just, we have learned to have so much symmetry 
and compatibility and complement to each other. Yeah. And we are each other's biggest cheerleaders. And we will call each other out when we're being bozos. Really? Like, hands down, without you're being without taking offense. Yeah. Because it's not personal. It's like, you're being rude right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I stop and I'm like, am I? I suppose I am right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I'll own that. I was yeah. totally rude. I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, or interacting with our kids. It's like, would you put down your device because your son is trying to ask you a question and you're not paying attention? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know he was talking to me. That's my point. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. So now I've actually implemented, my kids are old enough now where they're, you know, fun and interesting and engaged and curious. Like at night, I just don't take my phone out into the living room or whatever, or the like at dinner or whatever. I just, I bring my phone up into my bedroom. I put it in its cradle to charge. And then I leave it there until they go to bed. A lot of compromising, man. A lot of compromising. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> and well, here's the thing is, is it is it compromise? Yeah, I guess you could say it's compromise for sure. But it also goes back to that other motive. It's like, I want to create safety. I want to create connection. I want to create the kinds of environment that bring us closer together. Yeah. And sometimes compromise can feel like, oh, I'm sacrificing something just to make you happy. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I kind of paint a different picture is anytime you ought to, or you should, or you're supposed to, mm-hmm. those can be really negative. That's true. But if you do it from a place of, I love you and I want the best for you and I want to provide an environment where we grow together and grow stronger, like now all of a sudden that becomes a place of generosity, a place of um, grace, yeah. a place of power. Yeah. I feel you on that. I feel, I feel that. Now I was scrolling through your page on, on Instagram. And I stumbled mm-hmm. upon the happy Juneteenth post and where you said, not not so long ago, the love of my no, not so long ago, the love my wife and share would be illegal. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again. Not so long ago, the love my wife and I share, you missed that part. And I yeah. share would be illegal. It was only in 1967 the Supreme Court declared that our interracial marriage would be supported under the US Constitution. 1967, y'all. That's 104 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, right? In some states, we would have gone to jail for our marriage, some worse. We came Mm -hmm. a long way. We came a long way. Now, did you have any challenges of just being with your your wife? Just like from, you know, the outside, how how they look at interracial marriage, interracial dating. What were some of the challenges? Yeah. Um, So... I told you we were in Alabama, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there one. are some cities, right? Yeah. There are some cities in Alabama. Um, we would make sure that we had enough gas in the tank to get past. Mm. You know, we did not want to stop in a certain city because we had known about, you know, some of the things the that, Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. In fact, there's a city we were just by there um, a couple of weeks ago, Coleman, Alabama, which mm. is where the that was the center of the KKK, the wow. Grand Master. That's where he lived. Wow. And to my knowledge, he still lives there. Um, 
And um, we would never stop in that city. And to this day, my wife still has no interest in that city. She's like, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, but uh, that city's actually come a long way. Um, there's a lot of black folk there now, and they're building yeah. businesses and doing awesome things. So it's it's changed even in the last 15 years. I need to visit because my father's side is from Mobile, Alabama. So I've never been. I have family there. So Oh, well, come on. Uh, so Mobile is a completely different place. Yeah. So I like to say there's three parts of Alabama. Mm-hmm. There's Huntsville. All right. And there are parts of, uh, this is debatable, but Montgomery and uh, um, uh, uh, Birmingham that kind of fit in the same place. They're, they're, you know, um, it's a very highly educated area, you know, uh, especially Huntsville is a high PhD per capita type of thing, rockets and space and military. And then there's the beach, which most people don't know that Alabama has some beautiful beaches, the redneck Riviera. Come on, y'all. It's one of my favorite areas in the country, actually, Uh um, is, uh, Gulf Shores and Orange Beach, Alabama, and then Mobile, their beaches are, not as pretty because they have um they have brackish waters because of the river mm-hmm. um so it's a little brown whereas you go the others um it's green you know that azure green yeah. is beautiful and then there's the rest of alabama which is the cliche redneck you know whatever yeah. now that's a broad stroke i know i get a lot of friction from all that <laughs> but where you're talking about mobile is like a combination of Savannah and New Orleans. If they had a baby, you'd have mobile. Really? Yeah. Oh, so it's real. That's how my, my father's side of the country, their soul food given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. probably get all that stuff there. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> yeah. sure. So I have to visit. But it's nice having you on this podcast, Angus. You told an amazing story. What's next for you? And tell people about your book as well. Sure. Um, so my book, I'll start there first is called love's compass. You can find it on Amazon or any of your favorite online retailers love's compass by Angus Nelson. Um, there's other titles called love's compass as well. Mm -hmm. And it is how do you recover after a lost relationship? And it tells my whole story and some of the insights that we shared, uh, here on our call just now, Mm -hmm. I was gonna say tonight, but maybe you're listening and it's not night, but for us it's night, (laughs) right? Right. Um, what's next for me, um, I'm continuing to work with men and you know, high achieving men who are trying to get out of their own way, mm-hmm. who are wrestling with the context that they have been successful. They've done amazing things, but for some reason they're running up against roadblocks and they feel stuck, whether it's in their relationships, whether it's in, uh, their work, um, or maybe they need to start a new company or something mm-hmm. that their intuition is speaking to them about. And for whatever reason, they can't unlock what's going to get them to their next level. And that's what I do. I help them get into that psychology to help release some of their old stories and give them the systems and processes in place to help them execute and take action on the dreams that are going to find most fulfilling. Nice, nice. And where can people find you? You can find me at AngusNelson.com and just about every social profile at Angus Nelson. Thank you, man. And are you still on Clubhouse? Are you still doing rooms? I am. I was actually going to jump on there earlier today. <laughs> it's a, uh, you have to find your tribe on that. On that yeah. Because you see a bunch of nonsense and you, have, you just have to find your tribe. <laughs> True <laughs> that. I'm seeing. But thank you, Angus. This will be out in a few weeks and I will let you know the, the other stuff I need from you, like the picture and everything. Awesome. My but pleasure. I want, I want to thank you for doing this. Have a good night.
Yeah, you too.